Tim's lunch! Tim's lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champ's Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, today we'll be looking back at the month that was June 2019 in the Schmodown, which included, of course, one of the big three pay-per-view events of the year, the Schmodown Collision, uh, which is where most of our discussion will be focused today, as there were some big matches, and it, it took up a lot of the month. Uh, even just the build-up to the collision. So that's where we'll be spending most of our time today. But first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. I had a refreshing week off for the 4th of July. Uh, just got Actually, just got back from working out, so I'm feeling like I've done more in the past like two hours than I have in the previous year of my life. So I'm feeling up for <laughs> up for some Schmodown chat right now. I'm on top of the world. That's great. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I've uh, been to the gym in probably about a year, but I'm just blaming that on law school rather than on, you know, not wanting to go. Of course, I would. If, if I had all the time in the world, there would be infinite things I would do, including go to the gym. But uh, yeah, if, if you could check off the other 99 things ahead of right. going to the gym on your list, you would get to it. But <laughs> alas, it's not to me. Right. Hey, and, and wh- honestly, why weren't you spending that time catching up on some movies? I know there's a, your, your watch list is plenty full right now. <laughs> It's true. I did not watch as many this week because uh, I had a friend in town. I thought we would watch more movies, but instead we watched uh, American Vandal instead. So, Oh, well, that's also a very worthy use of time. Unfortunately, we may not ever see the show again, but uh, it had a good run there for two seasons. I hear it's getting shopped, so we'll see if someone picks it up. Fingers crossed. All right, Scott, let's uh, move on then and, and get right into the uh, Schmodown action uh, from J- June 2019. As I said up top... The live event uh, of the month was the Schmodown Collision, no longer the Collider Collision, of course. Uh, But we always start out these episodes with talking about the collision. And since it was the main focus of the month, uh, it feels right to start there. Uh, So we had four matches, and we'll just start in chronological order. Uh, First of all, we had the Manager Bowl, uh, which was a sort of Schmodown all-star game of sorts, with each manager getting to pick uh, one member from their faction to play for the chance to give their manager control over the league, control uh, as the commissioner of the league for, I believe, is it one month or half a month? I think it's one month. It's going to go July 15th to August 14th or something like that. Yeah, so this was sort of an all-star game of sorts, which I thought was a cool idea. Uh, We had Eric Zipper uh, representing the dungeon. We had Stacey Howard representing uh, We had Janine the Machine representing... uh, the time machine. Uh, we had Drew McQueenie representing the family and we had John Roca representing the horseman. Uh, and Scott, this match started out like a true all-star game. You know, I had my doubts about a couple of people in this match, you know, Stacy Howard, uh, hasn't been on her game really in quite a while. And Eric Zipper is, seems to be uh, more in his element and inner geekdom, but every player came out hot out of the gate, scored six plus points in round, uh, Roca was on top. He missed his bonus after getting a perfect round, but uh, everyone was really close together, and it was great to see um, everyone come out of the gate so hot. And you know, it continued to be a close match um, throughout this match. Stacy was able to hit all three of her uh, questions in the final round, which was nice to see again, given her struggles. 
I feel like this is one of those things where we're going to be like, oh, you know, Stacey played really well in that five-way match. Like maybe she's back now and then we're going to get hurt again like we always do with Stacey um, after she goes out and lays another egg. But she did have a very good bounce back match here, even if uh, it was only good enough for, I believe, third or fourth place here um, in this match. In the end, it came down to two players uh, who have traditionally struggled with round three. And it was kind of a question of who was going to get over their round three blues. And while Janine had the control going into the round three and had the lead, and had the chance to hit that five-pointer uh, once again. Uh, she was just short uh, of, you know, getting over that hill that has seemed to plague her so far in the in the Schmodown. And Drew McQueenie, the Godfather, came out on top, giving Robert Meyer Burnett control over the league as commissioner. As you said, Scott, starting July fifteenth, takes on this match. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's best to start with the winner, right? Talk about McQueenie here. Probably his biggest win since retaining the belt, uh, defending yeah. the belt uh, at last year's collision. It's been a full year since he's probably had a good win. Yes, he had a semi-run with, I mean, I think it was really only one match with Brienne in the Anarchy Teams tournament last year. But that ended, you know, <laughs> with a fizzle rather than a bang when they went out against the Harris brothers. Uh, granted, we, then, I mean, of course, the Harris brothers went on to the ultimate showdown uh, team tournament final. So that's, you know, no small task there. I mean, they were clearly a good team, even though uh, Jonathan Harris at the time was an unknown quantity. But, you know, that loss maybe necessarily hasn't aged all that well as the Harris brothers kind of came down to earth. And now, of course, it's JT and Lon back together again. So I think this is a big win for Drew. This may not go on his record and may not be reflected the next time he goes out, whether it's in the Ultimate Schmidt on Singles Tournament or if it's before then. But I think this will be a big confidence boost for him because, like you said, he really put to bed his round three blues. I can't remember if he missed one of his round three questions, but he nailed the one that mattered, and that was the five-pointer, which lifted him above Janine, who, again, I think may have hit her two and her three, but just missed out on that five, which you know is nothing necessarily to hang your head about, but because of her history with the with those round three struggles, maybe it adds a, it adds a little bit of doubt into her and creeps in a little bit there. A little bit doubt, a little bit of doubt into her mind there, uh, even though maybe on a normal day for a normal competitor, that might not have been something they beat themselves up about because it's a five point question. You know, sometimes you kind of just have to get lucky with those. And she didn't in this one. As for further down the roster, I mean, Roka, I mean, it's not that he put in a forgettable performance because after all, he did get that perfect round one just missing the bonus. But he just kind of faded into the background. And uh, honestly, Scott, maybe this is controversial to say, but. It didn't seem like he cared too much about this match. <laughs> um, he just seemed very quiet for the outlaw that we know best. I mean, obviously, he I'm not saying he didn't want to win, but it's not like he was out there fighting for a title. You know, I, I just think that this just meant a little bit less to him. And I think having Bateman out there, uh, I know that there's probably <laughs> the reason that Roke is out there and not Bateman is probably because of scheduling issues. But if Bateman were out there, it just felt like he would have wanted it a little bit more. Right. And so I, I thought uh, from from that angle, Roka's kind of a, a wild card there in that. He did okay. He's not going to hang his head about this performance. I thought he did fine, but I also don't think that he was in it to win it necessarily, uh, fully committed as someone like a Drew or a Janine and, was in this. Match. And to jump in there, you know, yeah. you have to wonder if maybe that's part of what's going on with the story too, right? Because what would Roka have gotten if he won this match? He would have gotten Dagnino becoming the commissioner for a month. And, you know, they, they seem to have put aside their differences in recent weeks, especially with Dagnino, you know, tapping Roka to be in this match. But, you know, you, you still have to ask yourself, given, you know, going back 
uh, the rivalry that these these two people have had, two guys have had over the years in the Schmodown, you know, is Roca really ready to hand the the league over to Dagnino? You know, was that something that he really wanted to be going out there and, you know, playing his hardest for? I don't know. You know, I don't know if, if Roca put that much thought into it or if, like you said, if it really just didn't mean that much to him. But, uh, you know, that could be a consideration as well. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a great point. And it's and it's tough to say exactly exactly what you're saying there. It's like it's hard to say have they put their differences behind them, you know, superficially at least. I mean, we, we don't know what's kind of under the skin there. But for me, it just seemed clear that he wasn't as interested as some of the other people in this match. And then, you know, I think that even though Eric Zipper finished last, Stacey Howard, I think, did come in fourth. I think that they also put in solid performances. I mean, Zipper, I think, missed either his first two or his first question just Really, I got worried for him, I think it's fair to say. But then he came back strong and got six points, or maybe he even got seven points. I think he maybe only missed his first question because I think Stacy was the one with six points in the first round, but I could be wrong on there. But the point is he came back strong, and I think that he had a respectable performance uh, in round two. He just didn't get as many of the steals, I think, which is what put him at a deficit and even a respectable round three. Uh, just came up short for him. And the difference is Stacy lasted longer than him because she had that, you know, home run of a round three, getting all 10 points. The problem was she just found herself in too deep of a hole to overcome, you know, Janine or McWeeny. As a parting thought on this match, I think, you know, as you said, it was it, it was kind of bad luck for Janine, I guess, with her last question, because she did. She was able to get herself in that position. But I think at a certain point, she's gonna, the, the moral victories are going to wear off for her because she's had a few of them now. And I think she probably feels like, uh, you know, it's time for her to, to put these moral victories behind her and, and actually be able to win the big one. And maybe she'll be able to do that this month against Mike Kalinowski. And, you know, she, she's in the running uh, if, if she can win that match to get herself a singles title shot. So we'll see whether she can do that because she is playing really well right now. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I don't think that I didn't mean to imply this, but and, and you know, maybe you didn't think I did either. But like, I don't think this is she will take this as a moral victory. Mm-hmm. It was good that she got herself in that position. But because of those struggles in the past, I think that it's just happened too many times for her to walk away feeling really satisfied. I mean, maybe she won't be disappointed, but I don't think she's going to be satisfied or, or take necessarily any, too much away from this other than the fact that, you know, there's another one that just kind of slipped through my fingers a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, Scott. Now, let's- should we should we talk first before about what this means for the league that uh, Robert Meyer Burnett is going to be? Yeah, the chair, the commission, the commissioner's boss, right below the chair. I don't even know how that works necessarily. Any thoughts? The commissioner on- of the commissioners. Any thoughts on that? I mean, the only thing that I I can really predict at this point is I feel like we're going to get that Burnett Navarro match. I mean, yeah, I think that's like I I feel like I've seen all week people talking about just like crazy things that are going to happen in the league with. Robert Meyer Burnett as, you know, the commissioner uh, for all the leagues in the next month. Some of them are just absolutely outlandish, like just match after match of family versus uh, the five horsemen. But for me, I just don't see that. I think that because this was a live event and so many of these matches are pre-recorded <laughs> in advance uh, with enough lead time and have to be schedules have to be worked out so quickly that it's not going to blow up what's actually going to happen in the league. I think that you might see little influences here and there, like that Navarro match that you just described. I, th- I think there's going to be little touches, uh, less the kind of big sweeping changes that some people might outlandishly be predicting. But you know what? It's fun to fantasize about those things, too. Yeah, and I hope there is some payoff. Like, I hope it doesn't just fizzle out in this match. We look back at this match at the end of the year and say, well, that was kind of pointless. Yeah, but I, 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 don't, I do I don't think th- that there will be a big... I do think that there will yeah. be a big payoff. I just don't think, like, 
every match for the next month is going to be is going to really be determined by Burnett. No. And you have these people in the Facebook group listing like 10 matches that are going to happen in the next month, uh, like per Burnett. And I'm just like, that's probably not realistic. Well, you can't go too deep into that Facebook group. But yeah, what I was going to what I was going to say is that, yeah, I, at this point, I trust Christian and the writers like with my life to Ooh. come up with the storyline that's going to work and that's going to make this match feel like it was worth it. So uh, whatever happens is going to be something to watch. OK, Scott, let's turn now to the second match. The I mean, you know, at, even though it wasn't technically the main event of the collision, it certainly felt like a main event uh, with all of the hype and build up that had been. Uh, going into this match. And that, of course, was the inner geekdom number one contender match between Mike Kalinowski and Kevin Smets with a berth to uh, San Diego Comic-Con on the line for that title shot against Rachel Cushing. Um, Kalinowski trying to get back there against Cushing, uh, who he's never beaten, of course, and, uh, you know, try to avenge his many defeats at her hands. And Smets, you know, trying to cement his quest for rookie of the year and an undefeated run to the title to start, you know, he knocked out every single person that uh, he had played thus far going into this match. Uh, and of course we never felt like uh, he was going to do that in this match, but he did get off to a shakier start than, than we were used to seeing from Kevin Smith and the same for Kalinowski. They, uh, they missed a couple of questions in round one, which uh, it, you know, we're not used to seeing from, players of their caliber. But then Smets, you know, he really sort of locked in, was able to have a really strong round two, close to putting Kalinowski uh, in a deep hole. Uh, but Kalinowski hit him right back with a perfect second round. Uh, it was exactly the sort of blow for blow uh, battle that we wanted. And the game was tied going into the last round, of course. Uh, both guys hit their, their two and threes. It comes down to that five-point question. And Smets... You know, with one of those things that will probably haunt him until he's able to get himself to that title shot, messes up. Norman Osborn's quote at the end of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man saying that the Green Goblin's last words were, don't tell Peter, which of course makes no sense because Spider-Man was Peter. It was clearly just a misspeak by him. And the answer was, of course, don't tell Harry. So the ball then goes into Kalinowski's court to win it. Um, and it turns out that I don't know if he said this in the post-match interview or if he said this later, like after the match was over. Uh, it turns out that his question was about the very thing which he and his girlfriend had been practicing right before he walked out to the match. And that was the Star Trek movies which Jerry Goldsmith composed the score for. And he rattled off more than actually the question asked for. And it was it was a, it was a great moment. It's, you know, it's one of those iconic, instantly iconic moments that you're going to see. Um, in promos probably for years to come in the showdown uh, because he did get emotional. He did break down a little bit upon his win. Uh, but yeah, the the smasher is indeed human. The Russian was cut and Kalinowski moves on to Comic-Con uh, in a great match. An incredible match. You talk about this, it feeling like the main event. And that's, I mean, I couldn't agree more. This felt like what the Schmodown collision was all about because it was the thing that was hyped for the longest, right? We didn't know that the quote unquote main event was going to be the team titles rematch until, you know, just a few weeks ago. And so it really felt like everything was leading, like at the collision was leading to this. And the fact that we got it, it you know, as the second match of the four, it, I mean, it, it felt like there, there was, you know, two uh, main events in, in the collision, which is, you know, for a pay-per-view event, probably how it should feel like. And I mean, this didn't disappoint whatsoever. 
I mean, I was on my feet in my apartment when we were watching it. I was kind of jumping up and down during the last round. It was, I mean, it was amazing. It was probably the most hype I've been for a match uh, all season. And that was, and that's saying something because we've had some incredible matches already this More year. More hype? More hype than Houston? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, come on. There's nothing that's going to ever beat in my mind. Ben Bateman just destroying Andrew Guy with a yeah. with a chair. But no, I, I mean, for, I just don't think that you could get a, a more satisfying performance from a neutral perspective, right? Of course, like people who are huge fans of Smets are going to be disappointed if not respecting the the match. Kalinowski fans are of course going to be going crazy, kind of like I was. And then the neutral, you just kind of lean back and you're like, wow, what what an absolutely sensational. Uh, showing. I mean, we've had we've been blessed with so many incredible intergeekdom matches over the last year, and this lived up to all of the hype. Personally, I'm you know incredibly satisfied to be getting a, a Mike and Rachel rematch. I think it's their third time playing each other in intergeekdom, at least maybe their fourth time because I think they played in singles one time. I, I, I'm not sure there. Someone probably have to fact check me on that. But for me, yeah, you talked about the wobbles early on, maybe. Uh, they both bled pretty early on. I think Mike missed his first, his very first question, and then Smets missed the second question. So you really saw uh, signs of weakness early on, and then they, you know, of course, bounced back from that. Those round twos were so impressive, uh, and then the third round, uh, I, you know, you said that it'll haunt Smets until he gets a title shot. Honestly, it'll probably haunt him past that. You know, I think he'll he'll keep this. Will be a point that he always remembers. Um, and if he ever needs a, a source to, of energy to draw on of uh, what he doesn't want to happen again, he's going to he's going to think back about this because this is going to be a tough one to shake off, I think. But apparently he might be playing as the undercard at San Diego Comic-Con, so he might uh, not have too long to shake it off. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have to say, after what we saw last year with the Intergeekdom League with Mara, you know, coming in and making that incredible run to the title, going undefeated, although I was a neutral in this match, it, I did like seeing – it was a little bit refreshing to see Smets uh, have to deal with uh, a loss to Kalinowski there uh, and, you know, have to sort of fight his way uh, to that uh, title shot, which he is definitely going to get uh, probably sooner rather than later. But it is nice to see that he's going to have to work his way up a little more rather than coming straight in and, and getting straight to that title shot. Not that he wouldn't have earned it, of course. For, for champions, it just feels right for them to have – uh, suffered a little bit before they can get to that belt, just like Rachel Cushing had, right? Because it took her so long to get to that intergeekdom belt, and uh, that's what made it so satisfying when she finally did get it. Yeah, and I, and I think in Smet, just to take Smets' perspective here, I think I'd say he suffered by having to go through the fan leagues, uh, and that I think that's the the scorn that yeah. he probably looks back on and the trials that he looks back that he had to overcome getting rejected by by Christian last year when he did try out. But you're right. No, I think it makes it for the fans from the fan perspective. It makes it mean all the more if he's able to, you know, go, you know, get a couple more wins under his belt. Maybe, you know, maybe take on Mike again for number one. Maybe take on Rachel for number one, you know, depending on who comes out of out of Comic-Con as the champion. And I think that by the end of the year, it would be surprising if he doesn't get a title shot. But what we can guarantee probably is that we're going to get at least one more iconic match uh, between Smets and someone else out there, even if he doesn't get a title shot this year. And what he's been able to do, granted, against maybe... Uh, questionable uh, opposition sometimes in the inner geekdom thus far. He proved that he can go toe to toe with the best of them. Uh, and of course, he's had such dominant wins so far that no one doubted that, but he's proved it out there. And it's only by a misspeak, a fluke, one word difference that uh, ultimately meant the difference in this match. Not to say that he would have won if he'd gotten that right. Of course, it would have gone to sudden death and who knows what would have happened. But uh, it's going to be a tough one for a tough pill, to, a tough pill to swallow for him. And, um, 
I'm sure he'll be ready to go when it comes to Comic-Con. All right, Scott. Uh, the third match that we had in the collision was a bit of a, a surprising match, I guess, at least for one from one competitor's perspective. Uh, we had Paul Oyama taking on Liz Shannon Miller in a number one contender singles match. You know, Miller, perhaps not quite the person that we expected to see there. Um, she did pull off an upset against JTE in a match that we will circle back and talk about here before the end of the episode. But Paul, you know, we did pick him to get past Chance, and he was able to do that in a very, very hard-fought match, which we'll also talk about. But I think this definitely felt like, in terms of uh, our interest in this match, this was probably number. This is probably fourth out of four uh, on the list because, um, you know, it did seem like this was Oyama's match to lose, uh, and you know, he didn't lose it. Uh, he uh, was very confident from the beginning. Seven points in round one, um, perfect round in round two. Um, Liz Shannon Miller did her best to keep up, um, but primetime showed the dominant domination that he has showed since coming into this league. Um, and, you know, we just talked about somebody who uh, it felt right that he, he, he wasn't going to come straight in and get a title shot going undefeated, going on an undefeated run. Well, that's exactly what Paul Oyama is going to be doing here because uh, after beating Liz Shannon Miller, he, of course, is moving on to face uh, Dan Merle for the title you know, later this month. And I think, you know, I don't know, he's, he's not quite on the level of, of the goat yet, especially the way Dan has been playing recently, but this is going to be a battle. I think Dan can absolutely not uh, take Paul Oyama lightly just because he's a rookie. Yeah. I I think this match, you're right. If JT had come out of that um, gauntlet with that final, the final of the gauntlet against Liz Shannon Miller, I think my interest would have been, it would have bumped it up above the manager bowl for me. But with that, with that kind of weird, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but it was just kind of a weird match and it really felt unbalanced in certain ways, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, Oyama coming into this, I had no doubt. I mean, I feel like I could have slept through this match and I wouldn't, well, I woken up and not really have missed too much because it was a comfortable uh, clinical win <laughs> for Paul, to, to say the least. And to see him moving on to play Dan was not surprising. Again, I think this is a case of someone who he had a tough match against Chance. Again, another match we'll talk about later. But, he hasn't really faced someone who I view as like top tier talent in this league. So I, I think it's, there's a huge question mark around what that match with Dan is going to be like for me. Do I think that Paul has a chance to beat Dan? Absolutely. I think he, he's shown that he has the qualities to go head to head with the best in the league. He just hasn't yet had the opportunity to go against one of the best of the league. And, you know, he's arguably going against the best of all time when he, uh, when that title match does happen. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how good, you know, he is, we know he's in that top echelon of players, but where is he in that top echelon of players? And I think that that singles title match, whether I think it's, it is coming up this month, I think late a couple of weeks from now, uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting match. And I do, th- I mean, we'll get to predictions later. I think Dan definitely has the upper hand based on experience and the way that he's been playing in these, you know, you know from the start of the year at the New York live event to the title defense that he's had already. I think that he's shown that you know, he's there for it and he grinds out win after win. And we haven't really seen that from Paul. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, especially with the five round format. Not not something that Paul's had the taste of before. It's just a, a lot of intrigue. But this particular match, I'd say Oyama v. Miller didn't really have all that much intrigue. Yeah, I uh, I would have to agree there. And, you know, Paul may not have uh, have 
pace the toughest opponents yet. And I mean, I think this is probably your point, but you know, knowledge wise, he hasn't really showed a lot of chinks in the armor. Um, and you know, even, even classics, he appears to, you know, appears to be one of his strengths, uh, which is impressive for someone of his age. Um, so it will be interested to see, interesting to see if any sort of weaknesses get exposed in this five round match with Dan, because, um, we haven't really seen any so far. It's one of those things, like when you, when you're talking about the top tier players, it's like, None of they don't have weaknesses, right? It's just like, can you yeah. get lucky with certain questions that may not be their like certain categories that aren't their strengths that they get a question that they just can't pull up, right? They just haven't seen that movie. They just didn't, you know, recently review that particular, you know, director or actor. And it's one of those things where like it's not really there's a massive chink in the armor, just that you get lucky with a deeper cut of a question than they're able to cover in one of their uh, less strong categories, you know. And and that's, I mean, that's what the five round. Uh, formats all about when you get something like the speed round when you get you know when you get deep in you know the betting round uh it's it's it really throws a curveball into it and you just get more questions and more chances to to be not as sharp as maybe you'd want to be in the biggest match that you've played so far yeah uh agreed there um and speaking of big matches scott we had a huge one to close out this Schmodown collision which altogether i think uh was just an absolutely outstanding event maybe the best collision yet um, definitely, I think, a step up on last year's. Uh, but that match was, of course, the main event. Odd Couple versus Shire Wolves, the team title rematch. I mean, not even a month removed from uh, the Shire Wolves losing the belt for the first time. Um, Odd Couple claiming that uh, that team title belt. And this was their first defense um, The Shire Wolves, with the Shire Wolves getting that immediate rematch. And, you know, this match started out and what we saw in round one really set the tone for the rest of the match. And that was... Clark Wolf struggling, but Rachel Cushing really keeping her team alive um, and, you know, really showing up uh, to this title match. That's the thing about about team play, you know, is that one partner can sometimes pick up another one and uh, and keep them in the match. And that's exactly what Rachel Cushing really was doing throughout this match, I think, um, in an uncharacteristic performance um, from Clark Wolf. Uh, but the odd couple, you know, capitalizing a little bit on that, on those struggles from Clark did have a three point lead going into round two, had a really solid round two with 10 points, but, uh, the Shire Wolves came back and had an even, even stronger round two, um, going perfect, almost getting the full 12, uh, having to do it a multiple choice one time. But other than that, perfect in the round, we got down to the, uh, final question, uh, or final round and, the game was tied um, just as the intergate the match was there was a, you know, a very back and forth speed round. Um, and, you know, with, with both teams looking like they might have the upper hand at one point going into that final round and it ended up uh, tied going into that final round at 25. And then, you know, again, as I said, it set the tone for the match, Clark Wolf missing her two point question, Char Wolves having to hit her five to stay alive. And they were able to do so after both of the three point questions were answered correctly. Of course, um, and so then the ball was in the odd couple's court, you know, they, they really, it really did feel like they had the upper hand for most of the match. Uh, but the pressure was on them for this final question in the five pointer, and they were unable to pull the answer on a Deadpool question. Comic book movies, of course, not really there, or, I mean, I guess it is a strength for, for Andrako, but not. Uh, no, the comic book movie, that, that was Rachel's oh, my question. Bad. The yeah, Deadpool question was for Rachel. Yeah. They had a question about Scrooge, Scrooged. Yeah, that's right, because it's one of Clark Wolf's favorite movies. I believe it was like uh, it, it was a pretty specific plot detail question yep. about something that Bill Murray's character did in the movie. What did he send um, all of his employees, basically? Yeah, for? 
and and they just were not able to pull it. And the Shire Wolves claiming that belt back, you know, I guess a little bit harsh on the odd couple based on how they played in the match. But I think we always felt like the Shire Wolves were going to come back in this match and, you know, be ready to take that belt back. And even though Clark Wolf didn't have her best match, again, team play, it's all about uh, how well you play with your partner. And Rachel Cushing was on her game in this match. uh, And that really made the difference in the end. So Shire Wolves, once again, champions claiming it back after another great match. Yeah, I mean, the team, the team is the team. And uh, Rachel showed up. I I don't want to harp on it too long, but Clark really didn't. I mean, two for eight in round one is unacceptably bad at this tier in the league. I think it's it's fair to say. Uh, and in, to some extent, I think you could say that the Shire Wolves got a little bit lucky that they weren't in a deeper hole after round one and that they got a comic book movies question for their five point one. Uh, you know, one <laughs> you have the inner geekdom champion on your team. That's a, that's a strength. Uh, and so ultimately, you still have to answer the questions correctly to win the match. And so it's only luck to a certain extent. But things kind of went the Shire Wolves way. They got lucky in that Andrako decided to buzz in early on a question where if he'd waited you know, three seconds longer, he would have known to say equalizer two, not the equalizer. And, you know, there's just little things like that, that sh- that the Shire Wolves took advantage of. It wasn't just that they got lucky, but that they took advantage of when those happened, that Rachel Cushing kept them in the game when it could have gotten out of hand, that, uh, it, you know, that that's professionalism in terms of how good that that the team is. There have been some matches where Clark Wolf has certainly been better than Rachel Cushing. And that's just part of being the team, to your point exactly. And, you know, on the day, the Shire Wolves got the belt because of how strong Rachel was and how much she picked up the slack for Clark. But who's not to say that Clark will do won't do the exact same thing in the next title defense. So I don't want to harp on it for too long. But an outstanding, uh, gritty performance uh, when it, they could have been down much bigger than three points at the end of round one uh, and just fighting back, which is what we've seen them do in match. Tough match after tough match after tough match that they've had. They've grinded it out and every get every point that they possibly can. Uh, fighting hard and that's what they did today and it was a it was in a very admirable performance even if not their best yeah and you know you talk about clark struggles and i think it just shows you how dangerous this team is i mean they scored 33 points uh, and were able to win the title in a match where clark will scored two points in round one and missed her third round question so um you know it, it shows you how dangerous they are when all of their cylinders are firing which they really have been for most of the matches that they played. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the team division is very strong right now. Uh, so they're going to get whoever they have to face next is going to be some stiff competition. And in fact, we know who they're yeah. going to have to face next, or at least we know who of the two teams it could be. And that's, of course, corruption, because Rachel just loves playing Mike so much, or the Founding Fathers, who, you know, you're staring down the barrel of the single of the singles uh, division title holder, or at least for the time being. So, you know. Uh, no slackers there. And whoever it is, is going to have their hands full with the Shire Wolves, um, as ha- as has been well established by this point. <laughs> oh, for sure. All right, Scott, that just about covers it for Collision. As I said, great event. One of the best live events of the year, for sure. Definitely an improvement on last year's Collision. Uh, and, you know, w- was feeling very hyped up after that one, for sure, um, going into the mm-hmm. to July. A few more matches to hit um, that happened this month before we uh, finish out today's episode, make some predictions. In the singles division, of course, the the rest of the month was taken up by uh, sort of building up to the collision. The match, the three matches that got us there, of course, Liz Shannon Miller uh, taking out David Del Rio in a very mediocre match. A couple of uh, competitors who kind of were sophomore, a sophomore slump a little bit after, you know, having pretty good showings in their debut matches. Del Rio beating Whitney Seibold and Miller beating 
uh, Demi and DJ eBay both really struggled in this match. Um, and Liz was just able to, to grind it out with, again, not the most impressive win, but got herself into that match with JTE. I think the highlight really of this gauntlet was for sure the match between Paulo Yama and Chance Ellison, um, which, you know, Scott, we both picked Paulo Yama, of course, to win this match, but he was really on the back burner for most of the match. I mean, not that he was getting blown out or anything, but Chance had the upper hand for most of the, the way. And, the, you know, this was another match where it came down to that five-point question um, and Chance was unable to uh, come up with the title of Cloak and Dagger, um, the 1980s comic book-based movie. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a great match, a, a very tense match between the two guys. You know, Chance, in the end, with that last question, you really had no idea, you know, because of how how steely both of them were during the match, whether he knew the answer and was just stalling or whether he was really trying to think of the answer. You know, of course, he asked for a few JTEs um, and it really built the tension well. But, um, you know, there was no pretending on that last question because Chance really did not know the answer and came up just short in this match. Uh, and, you know, like I said, Paul, after what it felt like, uh, you know, was playing catch up for most of the match got himself into that uh, number one contender match. Yeah, you know, you talk about how strong Chance came out of the gates, even though he technically wasn't the favorite in this match. You know, he got that Chance got that perfect round plus the bonus. So he took a two point lead into round two. And that's when, you know, he just got a little bit unlucky with the wheel, right? He got th- he ended up with thrillers, only managed to get five points. Whereas Oyama, we talked about how good he was at classics, but apparently he sees new movies too because he went a perfect four for four for eight points on new releases. And so he, he at least has both ends of the spectrum of the timeline covered. <laughs> we don't know about the middle, I guess. But uh, yeah, he, he absolutely crushed it. And, you know, you talk about coming back. Uh, he was in a, you know, he was in a 14-7 hole, I think it was, you know, going into his spin because Chance chose to spin first. So he really clawed his way back into it. And uh, because I think he missed um, his three point question, it really all came down to that five point. And he he was behind. And, you know, Paul clearly thought that that Chance was milking it and he knew that the answer to the question, but it just didn't end up that way. And it's a great it was a great match, I think, is the best thing to say. And you talk about this being the highlight of the gauntlet. I mean, it's not even close. For me, this was by far the best match in that gauntlet, including the one we got at Collision. So for me, awesome. It was an awesome performance for Yama, and it's definitely his best performance and his best win so far. Uh, we'll, we'll see how, if that changes in the next match that he plays. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course, that that final match in the gauntlet before the Collision was that JTE Lishan Miller match. Uh, Scott, really, the defining part of this match was the round two for JTE, where he really struggled uh, on what was the category that he had? Ridley Scott. That's right, uh, and got some very, very deep cut questions. <laughs> Did um, he ever? To the point where he was really just uh, beside himself, asking you know Christian and Mark, "What are these questions?" Uh, and you know, to be to be fair to him, um, they were very hard. I haven't seen a player go, especially a player of JTE's quality, go over four in a round two. I think ever. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it that, that really does tell you. I mean, JTE, I, I don't know that I would put him in the top tier of players, but he's a very good player. And, uh, you know, the fact that he struggled so mightily with these round two, I think, demonstrates how hard the questions were. And really, like I said, it was the defining round of the match because uh, he just found himself in a big hole going into round three, especially considering Liz had a perfect eight points in round two with her monster movie questions. Uh, and ultimately, JTE was TKO'd uh, by Lightning Liz. And again, I think what you'd have to see was a bit of an underwhelming match just because of uh, the the low-scoring yep. nature of it. 
to, to not take everything away from her, she played a good match. Yeah. Um, oh, she went up against a, a Schmodown legend. And, um, you know, even though the questions really went against JTE, you know, she still had to be there uh, hitting questions in order to, to maintain her lead. And that's exactly what she did, like I said, with the perfect round two. Um, so she'll be back and uh, she'll be she'll be a strong competitor in the league going forward. I have no doubt. Yeah, I think she'll actually probably benefit from losing to Paula Yama in that number in the number one contender match because, you know, she hadn't really tasted that defeat. It didn't really feel like she had and strangely enough, even though she'd played three or I mean, I guess four matches by the end of the collision. It didn't really feel like she had really got her feet wet yet. And I think that's because of kind of the, just the odd nature of some of the of the odd feel of some of the matches that she played. And I think getting I hate to use this too. This almost comes off too negative, so I hesitate to say it, but like getting pretty comfortably defeated by Paulyama, I think will be a wake up call for her to, you know, if it if it matters to her, if she if it's something she cares about, put in maybe a little bit of extra effort into studying, getting a little bit sharper on certain things. And I think she'll come back uh stronger for it. And it's not like she's weak because you're right, like she still had to go four for four in monster movies. She still had to, you know, hang around when, you know, maybe things weren't looking her way in round one after she'd missed a few questions uh she clawed her way back to stay within one point at the end of round one and you know she she toughed it out and that's what you got to do in these matches you have to take advantage of those opportunities that you're given we just talked about it in the team's title match and i think that was the same for this one too yeah definitely um and you know talking of team scott we had another team match um this month you know the only other match that we had um, outside of the collision uh, was this match between all the way back at the start of the month between the family and Inky and the brain. Um, Scott, you know, I think we, we definitely had our opinions about who was going to win this match going into it. It, it you know, I, 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 for one thought it was going to be a walk for the family um, who clearly had the stronger two players. Uh, at least it seemed in, in Drew McQueen and Drew Guy, but that's not how the match started out. Right. Um, the match was very close uh, going into round uh, round two, and you know, Inky and the Brain really seized control of the match when they got this Kevin Smith round, um, which seemed to be uh, uh, Rachel Silvestrini's biggest strength. Um, she rolled through these questions, I think, only missing one point, maybe having good to go to multiple choice once, uh, but she fell just short of being perfect. You know, like I said, it really felt like they seized control of the match, and then all the wind really got taken out of their sails. Um, when the family had a perfect six for six round um, in round two to grab that lead back going into round three. And after that point, like I said, it really felt like the wind got taken out of Inky and the brain sails and sort of the momentum that they had been coasting on sort of went out the window. And, you know, they also sort of played themselves in the third round uh, with, you know, the classic mistake we've seen it for in teams of giving, uh, assigning the two and three uh, point questions to the wrong person, you know, the other person, knowing the, you know, their partner's question, but, un, you know, being unable to answer the question. Um, and the family got a much needed win for, you know, both players at this point, you know, this is prior to Drew uh, McQueenie winning the manager ball. And this is immediately following, of course, guys humiliation in Houston. Um, so a much needed win for them. And I imagine we'll see a lot more of this team uh, pretty soon, given the, that their manager is going to be the commissioner of the league for a month. Yeah, I'd absolutely expect to see them have another match in, in July, if not multiple matches. And as for this match, you're right. I mean, it was an impressive performance. I mean, we were both a little bit skeptical about 
uh, Rachel and Devon coming into this match. We weren't sure how they would fare against a Drew McWeeny, who is a notably good player, If even if we do often talk about his struggles in round three, which he feels like now has put to bed maybe. And then Drew Guy, who's very, you know, hit and miss sometimes in his matches. It depends on, you know, which questions are asked, which is, you know, true for most people. But yeah, they, you know, they were only down by one point at the end of round one. They were only down by two points by the end of round two. It was an, there was a really strong performance, especially considering that Drew McWinney went perfect, like you said, in round two, a perfect six for six for 12. I mean, I say Drew uh, just because he was answering all the questions, but I, yeah, Drew Guy was there uh, as well. But in your in round three, you're right. They played themselves. Basically, they assigned the two-pointer to Devon. Uh, I think, well, I should say Rachel assigned the two-point question to Devon because she thought that she was a better player than Devon, and so he should take the easier question, and that just, it it really backfired on them, and it was uh, it was kind of painful to watch that round three. I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning way, but it was just like, oh, it was like what could have been, you know, because they'd hung in there for so long if they had just not played themselves. Uh, it ended up being a, T, a TKO, even though they were only down by two points going into to round three, which was uh, a little bit of a disappointing uh, anticlimactic conclusion to what could have, you know, what could have been ended up being one of the best matches of the year so far. Yeah. You know, it's another one of those matches. I feel like we've had several of them this year. Corruption world's finest also comes to mind where you have a a strong underdog who comes really close um, to pulling off a huge upset, but just can't quite do it. And I think we, we haven't really seen uh, a upset of the magnitude that it would have been if you know, world's finest had pulled that off, or if uh, if Hickey and the Brain had pulled it off here, we haven't really seen that kind of an upset yet this season. So hopefully, we will see uh, one going forward because it does add some excitement, of course. All right, Scott. Uh, moving to the inner geekdom division, a couple other matches um, outside of, of course, the big event uh, at Collision between Kalinowski and Smets. We had a four-way match um, between a couple uh, of new contenders and uh, Brandon Hanna. And Chandru, I, I can't remember what his last name was. Um, Don Dapani. Yeah, from uh, a fan league player or, uh, you know, a fan who, uh, you know, apparently just walked up to Christian, uh, I believe maybe at the free-for-all and, and said that he wanted to, to play and uh, was able to get himself a match. Uh, and, you know, he really did a nice job. But, uh, he, you know, the other two players in the match were Chance Ellison making his inner Gatum debut um, and Keaton Magic Markey, uh, who, of course, we have seen. Uh, before this is her fourth match, I believe. Um, and if you know, talking about who is the weak link of this match, you don't have to look much further than Keaton Markey. Um, you know, she she has a nice uh, personality. She brings a nice personality to the to the Schmodown, but outside of a couple of categories, um, she hasn't really shown herself to be, I think, a serious uh, intergatum contender. So I guess it probably wasn't too surprising um, to see her flame out fairly early on in this. Uh, this four-way match. Like I said, Chandru, nice job for a fan uh, playing in his first match. Uh, but this one really came down to Chance Ellison and Brandon Hanna. Um, Brandon Hanna, of course, most famously in Schmodown, uh, known as the guy who carried Ben Bateman's briefcase uh, for a while when he was going through that phase. Um, and, you know, Scott, this seems to be a theme, but this match also came down to the five-point questions. And, once again, as as we talked about uh, here, uh, with uh, with Chance in his match against Paul, he was unable to pull that five point question, uh, which which would have given him the win. And instead, it was Brandon Hanna, who you know has established himself now as a serious intergeekdom competitor. Um, and you know, I, I suspect may, maybe we'll have to see Smets will maybe have to go through him if he wants to to get back to the number one contender or, or a title shot going forward. 
Yeah, we'll see what what comes of Brandon Hanna next, who he'll play next, because we also do have that other match that we're going to talk about in just a second, uh, where Halavik Lavic played Zipper, and you'd think that maybe that would be one of the matches up for, uh, or one of the people up for up for playing Smets and, and to get Smets back up to that uh, number one contender shot. But for this match, you're right. It ultimately, uh, I mean, I feel bad because I like Keaton a lot, but this match was more or less just a, th- a three way, um, ultimately between Chance, uh, Chandru, and Brandon Hanna. And Chance, you know, in spite of being thrown into this match by uh, Emma Fife, I'd say the kayfabe was played well there because Chance clearly does know his inner kingdom <laughs> category as well because he put in a great showing. And it was, of course, I'm, I'm sure, again, as I said earlier, it's nothing really to hang your head about when you go out on a five-point question, not knowing it. But when they add up a little bit, it can, it can probably be pretty frustrating. And so I think Chance is probably going to want to hit a five-point question sometime soon just to put that to bed. But Brandon Hanna may be a surprise winner. I kind of expected him to come out third in this kind of match at the start, obviously not knowing anything about his inner geekdom quality, but clearly he has a lot of quality. And uh, the Hitman, which I believe is his uh, nickname in the in inner geekdom in the Schmodown, uh, you know, he, he's someone that I think Smets maybe should watch out for. I think that, you know, if he does play Smets in uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, I think it'll be one of those things where Smets will be confident that he would come out on top, but can't take it for granted because I think Brandon, at least based on what's shown in this match in this particular four way is definitely of a high enough quality to force uh, Smets to answer some round three questions, which he didn't have to do until he faced Mike. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I feel like we've said that about Hector Navarro as well, and maybe even, uh, you know, someone else that Smets has faced. Um, he's, he, he seems to have a way of bringing out the worst in his opponents. Uh, Smets <laughs> does. Uh, but yeah, a strong showing from Hannah, um, even if he hasn't, you know, had to take on a true heavy hitter yet. Um, but I feel like he's going to get his chance. And Scott, you know, you, you mentioned the other match that we got, which was Adam Havoc against Eric Zipper. And, you know, this was a really solid match. I think that a lot of times in the intergation division, when he gets outside of that big three um, of Kalinowski, Smets and Cushing, or, you know, go back to last year and you throw Mara in there as well. Um, some some of these matches can be a little bit of a, a grind uh, in terms of people getting the questions right because they are such deep cut questions right and I think people come in with uh, lower expectations of what they're going to get and, and are surprised by the difficulty but these two guys put on a really solid match um, Adam Plavik got out to a really hot start uh, Zipper battled back with some steals in round two and then a decent Harry Potter round he flamed out a little bit in round three and Plavik got the win but like I said solid from both competitors. And I think Adam Lavic, you know, really firmly established himself as I think the top person in the second tier of intergeekdom competitors. Um, you know, like I said, when you get below that, that top three, I think you'd have to say that Adam Plavik's probably the best in the league at this point, you know, maybe someone like Brandon Hanna or chance can get there eventually. But I think Lavic with the, the number of matches that he's played so far and, you know, talking of that number of matches, it was nice to see him get back the winning ways because, you know, he had had some tough matches recently with Mike and Rachel. And so it was nice to see uh, him have a really strong match. I think he scored over 20 points maybe in the match and get a win. And I suspect, you know, we'll see him back in the thick of things, uh, especially with Brandon Hanna and, and now Smets, you know, also back in the, the thick of things for that next number one contender spot. And I think he's another person who, could give Smets, um, you know, s- some trouble because, of course, the two of them have yet to play. 
so far. Yeah, I, I think that it would be interesting if Lavic did placements. It would feel right just because of his positioning in the in the ladder already. But yeah. I'd also understand if they injected some more of that new blood with Brandon Hanna into the Comic-Con match. You mentioned that he scored over 20 points. I think he came up just shy. He didn't have to answer his five-point question. I think he got 19 points. But still, a very, a very respectable uh, tally there, especially with another question to give still and and uh, he did struggle a little bit with dc movies i think getting his first three right but then maybe floundering a little bit too he just came out of the gates really hot maybe cooled by the end of it but he did all he had to do and, and i think that you know again i think smets would feel confident that he would be the superior player and have a be the favorite in that match if he did play lavic but he's another person uh who's strong enough in most categories to not be completely screwed like hector was when he got middle earth uh, and which ultimately was his, his death sentence in that match. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think he showed that he has, you know, we talk about Keaton being only strong in a couple of categories. I think Plavik can at least scrape by in um, his worst categories, um, yep. which is, you know, what you have to be able to do in um, the intergaping division. So, yeah, I think a, a, a him and Smets match could definitely be something uh, to watch for in the future. And hey, who knows? Maybe it'll actually be a three-way. Like maybe it'll be all three of them on the, on, on the desk at, in San Diego for the undercard. But uh, only time will tell. Indeed. Um, and, you know, and speaking of what time will tell, Scott, let's make some predictions before we finish out this episode of Champs Lunch. Um, you know, a lot of things are still yet to be decided in terms of what's on the schedule for July. But uh, we'll start with a couple matches that we do know will be happening. Uh, you know, talking of Eric Zipper, he's come up a few times in this episode. Um, and he's going to have another singles match following up on a, a, you know, a pretty respectable performance in that manager ball. And he's going to be taking on Haley Fouch of the Scream Queens. Scott, these, uh, these two players was, were, of course, I believe, partners in the Anarchy Tournament. Um, and so, you know, may, maybe a little bit of kayfabe involved there. Uh, who do you think comes out on top of this? Well, I completely forgot that they were partners in the team tournament. Yeah, I, I think that Haley will come out on top. I think that she's shown that she's such the stronger of the two and her team in Scream Queens. And we've yet, I think we haven't seen her in singles, right? Like we haven't seen her uh, just in the free for all now. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's the free, free for all. But I think that she's one of those people who is really strong and might be underrated coming into the singles match. Granted, we did just see a strong, a relatively strong performance for Eric Zipper. Uh, I should say at least a stronger performance than I expected in the manager ball. But will that translate to a one-on-one match where there's, maybe a little bit higher stakes than, uh, you know, the opener to the collision where yes, there is of course something to play for, but it's not the same as, you know, trying to work your way up the singles ladder to get to a title shot. And I think I'm going to go the other way. Like you said, I think zipper looked really strong in that, uh, manager bowl, uh, Fouch, you know, struggled in the free for all. She also struggled in the scream Queens last match. I forget who they played. But they lost the match, whoever it was. The the one match that they've had this season, uh, they were defeated. And, and Haley Fouch did not look like herself in that match. Um, like you said, I think she is a strong player, definitely the stronger player on the Scream Queens. But I'm going to go with uh, Zipper just because I think he has a little bit of momentum now. Especially, you know, he's got Kaiser now, who, you know, seems to be working some magic with um, his players, with Smets, with Pollyama. Um, and so I think maybe he can make it happen for Zipper in this match. All right, Scott, singles title match. We talked about it. Dan Merle, the goat against, uh, you know, the hotshot rookie on the scene, Paulo Yama. Um, is the goat going to retain that belt once again? Uh, or do you think that the rookie is going to pull off, you know, probably what would be the biggest upset of this year? That's a great question. I think that it's, it's a tough call, honestly, because like I laid out kind of earlier, I mean, Dan Merle 
maybe the best of all time, definitely at the top of his game again, you know, from the start of the year being the, you know, I guess technically the second match that was played this year, but from that opening live event, you know, straight through the title defense that he's had so far and also in his team's matches with Roka. And for that reason, I think it's really hard to bet against Dan in this match. That being said, I have Paulo Yama is good enough to compete with Dan Merle. And so I think it could be a real slog if Paul comes on his A game. And we've seen this year that if any manager can get someone on their A game, it's Kaiser. Uh, you know, yes, you know, Roxy did, of course, you know, put the odd couple together, piece them together, their strange relationship that has worked so well in teams. But Kaiser uh, is kind of showing here that he can do it with Smets. It sounds like it seems like he can do it with Oyama. I mean, yes, Oyama was a good product before he, you know, came under the mentorship of Kaiser, but it was a clinical performance in the collision. And I think that Oyama will be ready when it comes to this, this singles titles match. And so I think it's going to be a real knockdown drag out fight because I think that Paul Yama is the kind of character who's not going to be discouraged by maybe uh, getting out to a, a, an early deficit. If that were something that were to happen, I, I think that Kaiser will prepare him well enough and that Paul's, you know, a psyche is good enough to not be too discouraged by that. All that we've seen from Paul so far indicates that he's going to fight to the end and he's really freaking good. Yeah. Paul has been pretty unfazed by everything that he's had to face in the Schmodown so far, even on the rare occasions when he has gotten behind in the match. Um, he hasn't seemed to be rattled. So I think even, you know, despite his rookie status, um, you know, he he grinded in the fan leagues for a while uh, to get to this point. So I don't think he's going to be intimidated by facing Dan Rowe because, you know, he's probably been looking forward to a match like this for a long time. Definitely longer than rookies who come into the league and, um, you know, maybe get there after a couple matches or, you know, don't have it, a, a, as much experience with the Schmodown, aren't as knowledgeable about the Schmodown when they you know go up against someone like Dan Merle, I think Paul definitely has an advantage in that area. And I do think it'll be a close match because, you know, on, along that same lines, I don't think if he gets, you know, a few questions wrong or falls behind by a few points that he's going to get rattled. He's going to give up. Um, I think he's going to, he's going to stick around. And I do think that Dan will ultimately win the match. I think right now the way he's playing is just, there's really not anyone that can beat him until he shows signs of being human. He, he's back at, peak Merle status like he was uh, on his previous title um, defenses. And so I think unless we get a, a weird match like, you know, that that last match that Merle had when he played Christian Harloff, and it was, a, it was a defensive struggle to say the least with a bunch of really hard questions, unless we get a really oddball thrown in there like that, uh, I think Dan will retain the belt, but expect a close match in this one. Yeah, and to that note about him not being phased, for Paul not being phased by playing the goat mate, you know, I think that that's absolutely backed up, you know, whether it's character or not, whether it's how he really feels, he does seem to have that arrogance that, you know, just kind of casts aside any, you know, awe, awe inspiring feeling of, of being at the desk against someone like Dan, right? I, I think he, he just takes it for granted. And I think in this kind of match, that'll be a good thing in terms of him not being rattled by going against maybe the greatest of all time. I don't think there's any maybe about it. Okay, let's <laughs> let's not play. I think uh, I think Dan Merle is definitely the goat by now. But, I think yeah. that Sam and Rachel are definitely in the conversation. I think they would have been in the conversation a few months ago, but I think after the run that Dan has had this year, he's firmly established himself back at the top of the mountain. But yeah, I mean th- those two are definitely right there. Um, and sounds yeah. like this could be a back and forth debate. But I think Rachel having <laughs> two belts and not having played a singles match this year to prove that she could go up against someone like Dan. I think that that is 
a big question mark about whether Dan is uh, really cemented as the greatest of all time because Dan hasn't had two belts. And Rachel has done it in teams and in her geekdom, which there really aren't overlapping skill sets there. But thank you for the setup because Dan very well may have two belts very quickly um, if he can win the number one contender match, which is the last match I want us to predict today. We don't know exactly when this match is going to be happening, but now that Christian has confirmed this will be the next number one contender match, it seems like it will probably be coming later this month. And that is the Founding Fathers, Roca and Merle against Corruption, uh, Chance and KO. Again, another match that has been hyped up for some time. After the the drama of last year's match between these two teams and the anarchy, Founding Fathers have been talking all year about get, getting another shot at, at corruption after winning against Double Toasted and, and the Wildberries. They're going to get their shot now. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, so uh, when it comes to the actual match, I think that it's it's. I think this is going to go the way of the Founding Fathers. I think that Dan is in too good a form for it to go any other way. And I think that Roca, in spite of his maybe questionable motivations and the manager ball. I think that he will be fully motivated uh, mm-hmm. come this match, especially given the history between these two teams from the Anarchy team tournament last year. And I think that this, this match is really only going to go one way. I think it will be a close match. It'll be hard fought. I think we'll probably have a good sense of which kind of Mike will show up to this match when we see Mike play Janine uh, for a little insight in time of recording right after we record this, we're going to watch that match. Uh, but I, th- I think we might have a clearer idea of, of, how strong that corruption team might be. But I think no matter how strong they are, even if Chance, you know, conjures up the kind of first half of his performance against Oyama, I think that still the Founding Fathers would come out on top. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you talk about Roka, and I think, you know, he's been pretty consistent in his messaging recently and in Q&As and stuff like that of saying the one thing he wants to accomplish, like that he hasn't accomplished yet in the Schmodown, is winning that team title belt. Uh, with Dan by his side, so I think that he's going to be very willing. Um, of course, he wants to follow in the footsteps of his best friend Jeff Snyder and be the first person to, or the second <laughs> person to win with two teams. Exactly, uh, but I think that you know the reason he feels that way is because he and Dan have formed a bond uh, since being on this team. They're two of the all-time greats for sure, and I think what we've seen so far with this team is that Dan has really brought uh, the best out of Roca, that the old Roca that you know was a two-time champion. You know, we've seen him most prominently this year in those team matches. Um, And so I think, you know, if both of these guys are firing on all cylinders, you know, there's really not any team other than the Shire Wolves probably who can match up to them. Obviously, it's a big if. And I think that the psychological factor will play a role, like you said, with the way that this match went down last year. But I think Merle and Roker are going to come in ready and very focused to win this match. And I think they will win this match. Yeah, I mean, it was an upset when Corruption beat them last year, and it, I think it would be an upset again if they beat them this year. Yeah. Okay, Scott. Well, I think that should just about do it uh, for this episode of Champs Lunch uh, for June 2019. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, uh, please check out our other podcast, Some Like It, Scott, right here in the same feed where you found uh, that Champs Lunch episode. Uh, we'll be dropping our Spider-Man Far From Home episode uh, coming out. Uh, pretty soon and, and we'll also you know be covering some more of the the big summer movies still to come this summer including uh the lion king hobbs and shaw etc um and of course Once upon a time in hollywood yes of course um wouldn't miss that one uh and of course scott we will be back next month uh for another edition of champs lunch talking about everything that happened in july but until then thank you for listening i've been scott harvey for scott shelton we'll see you next time champs lunch yeah.